0: My name is Kelly Williams. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, our scripture reading today is found in Acts 8, verses 1 through 3, and Acts 9, verses 1 through 31. Let us stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts 8, verses 1 through 3. Saul approved of Stephen's execution. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In his report, Luke goes on to tell us in Acts 8 of how the gospel was carried into Samaria and into Gaza as believers were fleeing from Jerusalem. That brings us to Acts chapter 9. Saul, still breathing murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city And you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him, show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. In taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of God and all who heard him were amazed and said is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name and has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus, proving that Jesus was the Christ. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a true disciple. But Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles and declared to them how how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, Kelly. So here's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, That it's possible for human beings actually to change. That our our lives can be turned around. Do you think that's possible? You have some hope? Do you know that this is one of the parts of... um, the Christian message that has always been most compelling to, to people throughout the centuries and all over the world, that the thing that when you come to church that we declare, and I hope every time, is that God made you and God uh, knows you. So that, that means the good parts and the bad parts. <laughs> but he knows where we've messed up, but he loves us anyway. God, God loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you too much to leave you where you are. So, so he has found a way uh, to forgive you. And more than that, he has found a way to start making our lives right, to change us. And before he's done, if we'll let him, uh, he is going to change our our way of thinking and our attitudes and even our behavior in ways that are altogether better. Uh, What I'm really saying is that there is hope for us today (laughs) because of Jesus. Uh, Again, do, do you think so? All right, now, in case you aren't among the yeses there, amens. I've put together just a couple of stories that are from, from within our own church family of this happening, and I want you to see it, and then I'll come back. I grew up in the atheist
2: environment in China. I was taught not to believe in God, but to believe in
3: communist leaders. Basically, I am... Um, never someone who would like turn to God. I was probably the biggest atheist you'd ever met.
4: When I was young in China, I didn't know God. I tried to live a good moral life, but uh, in the midst of society, um, focused completely on materialism. All values were twisted.
3: I was questioning my parents, I was questioning you know, friends in the church and things like that. And
2: because I'm a scientist, I have this personal pride, which made me hard to admit that I'm a sinner. After I came to the United States for PhD study 19 years ago, I joined a Bible study group called Fellowship of International Students from Lake Avenue Church. So the turning point for me to accept Jesus was about two years ago. The company I worked for was undergoing massive layoffs. My job was at risk, and secondly, my marriage was broken. I remember one night when I was lying on bed, hopelessly, and God's word suddenly appeared in my mind as if God was speaking to me.
3: It was funny because I just came home, uh, really just down and like destroyed about like what had been going on in life. There's this band called Hundredth that I listened to, which is a uh, Christian band. They have this verse that goes, uh, "There's no greater love than His." That moment right there just like hit me in the face. Uh, Basically just like got down on my knees and was just like sobbing.
2: He said, trust me, I have a great plan for you. The plan to prosper you, not to harm you. A plan to give you hope and a future. My job was saved and the relationship with family members was also improved.
4: My sister who came to United States in 1990, finally, Came to know Christ. When she asked me whether I wanted to know this Almighty God who created heaven and earth, I answered, "Yes, I will." During this period of searching, God sent me a wonderful Christian couple and said to me, "Willing, your sorrow is our sorrow. Your happiness is our."
3: came to Lake, and they actually had uh, soccer. Through that soccer team, I actually got introduced to the Fidelis class. I had never seen somebody or met a group of young men and women that were so passionate about Christ. For whatever reason, I couldn't verbalize, like, you know, Lord, I give my life to you. Christ, like, this life is yours. Like, God, come into my life. Like, I had such a problem saying that. Not on any particularly special day. It may have been a Tuesday or Wednesday or something. I was in my car on the 110. I gave my life to Christ, and I I verbalized it. I had never been able to do that before. Words cannot explain how happy uh, and how full of joy I am.
4: Today, I'm very grateful to be a member of our big church family.
3: It was weird. Like, right when I accepted Christ, it just became like this weird instant effect of like I I'm not negative towards stuff, I'm not like hateful towards stuff. It just was like I just need to just spread like his love. You know, it's so sad that they're not experiencing that level of joy and you're like, It's so easy. <laughs> all you gotta do, you know, is all you have to do is say, you know, you know, Lord, I give my life to you. You just have to acknowledge, you know, Christ, Jesus, what he's done for you and I think that's it.
1: <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> you know, at church, we call this conversion. I, I wrote about it in the worship folder, a conversion. Do you know what we mean by that? It, it means, when you read it in the Bible, it means that uh, we were headed one way in our lives, which is almost always the way, you know, I, I'm directed by my own will. My own desires, or uh, by what everybody else expects of me. And then, boom, God meets us. (laughs) We turn around, conversion, turn around, and we are going to uh, follow His will. Uh, Jesus would just put it so simply follow me. So we trust Him to forgive us, and then we uh, follow Him. And our lives are changed. this is the reason why we still have church here, you know, 2,000 years later, is that, that, that we experience this. And today, we're going to be looking at maybe the most famous uh, conversion story. It sure is the most famous one in the whole Bible. It's the uh, conversion story of the Apostle Paul. Now, it might have surprised you when Kelly read that she kept calling him Saul. Did you notice that? Well, that was his Jewish name. That was his Jewish name. But he also had a public name, uh, Paul. And from the rest of the book on, we'll see him called that because that's the right thing to call him. Because you'll see, he was called to carry this message about Jesus beyond just his Jewish family and on into the non-Jewish world. It might even make it someday to Southern California. What do you think? Um, His story is so church-changing and life-changing that it's told three times in the book of Acts. Kelly just read the one from Acts 9, but you also find it in Acts 22 and you find it again in Acts 26. And then in Paul's letters, because he wrote a number of the letters in the New Testament, he keeps telling the stories over and over again because that's when his life, that's when his life was changed. Um, And and it's amazing when you read a story as he will tell it himself. He kept saying the same thing that they would say, that first of all, I was walking away from God, but my will had to change. Uh, I've been going that way. That's where I was going. But God met me, and so I had to be different. And in 2 Corinthians 5, he puts it so clearly. He said, once I had been living for myself, but now that I've met him, I no longer live for myself. I now live for him who died and rose again. So that's what conversion is about. So let's, let's look at it this morning for just a moment. First, I want us to think about this convert. I've called him a man who really needed the change. So he's like us. And it's some of the strongest language in the Bible. Kelly, you read this so well. But in chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, look, Saul breathing murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. That's pretty strong even in English. But in the original, it was even stronger, murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest in Jerusalem where the persecution against Christians had started. But he knew that his people were getting out of Jerusalem. Christians were getting out. They were running to a place called Damascus because a lot of them had family members there. So you can see that. So he said, I'm going to go over there and get them." So he went and asked for letters from the priest in Jerusalem to go to the synagogues in Damascus so that if there he found any belonging to the way, do you know who that is? Yeah, that, that's us yeah, who are following Jesus. If you could find any of it, men or women, he was going to bring them bound back to Jerusalem. So there's the man we meet. And then, if you have your Bible, turn on down to verses 20 and 21, and this is what we read. Paul so, proclaimed Jesus in the, in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard Him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And the answer to that question is, This is not hard. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) It's the same man. This is, this is a man whose life's been turned around. Do you see it? This is a man who has been converted. And one of the things I want you to see is it wasn't just this sort of short-term, emotional, religious experience that came one day and was gone. The next, it lasted. So here are a couple of things that I want you to see about conversion. Number one, change is possible. We can be different. And number two, when it's the kind of change that God brings about, it lasts. One of the evidences to know that if you've really been converted is that that conversion lasts. You continue going on. Even when you turn away, you turn back again and and you continue on. Jesus told a a parable about this, you know. Um, He often tells parables about gardens. And He said it's like a seed that goes down into a soil. Sometimes it springs up. But if that soil continues to have all the stuff that was there before, all the weeds that were there before, and you just keep all that stuff there, and for us that's still being self-willed, It just chokes out the life, and it's not real, it won't last. So it just springs up, it seems to be real, but it's not real. Um, And I've seen that so often, haven't you? Uh, People who will show up at church one day and, and, you know, feel the emotional part of it and feel some guilt and say, you know, coming in, I've been saved. Have you ever seen Oh Brother, Where Ought Thou? the The one character who says, I've been saved and sanctified. Except he went right back to his old way of life anyway. Well, real conversion is what we see happen to Paul. It starts a journey. It starts a journey that becomes, I call it, a a long journey with God in the same direction. As as he begins remaking us into something that when God's done in you and me, it's going to be beautiful. So I want you to know conversion is real. Life can be different. And conversion from God lasts. I, I, I just want to tell you today, your life... Can be different tomorrow from what it is today because of God. Change is possible, and so that's my first point. Uh, Paul was a man just filled with himself and and with hatred. He needed to change. So in that, he's just like you and me, right? And he was able to change. How did it happen? Brings me to my second point. I, I call it the converter. You see, I'm going to put on my West Virginia preacher hat here for a minute. He was a person knocked down and turned around by God. He was knocked down, wasn't he? And turned around by God. Look at verse 3. So, as Paul went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Paul might have answered, uh, well, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these Christians. They're pretty rotten people. (laughs) But essentially, and I love this, Jesus says the same thing. He is so connected to you and me that when we hurt, He hurts. And I'll come back to that at the very end. So I want to make something clear right now. Um, We have four different stories up here. They were all different. Did you notice? So the way our lives are turned around is almost always so different. Some some of the conversion stories happen after people for years and years and years of our lives have been looking into it, and finally one day we just we just say yes. And then others are absolutely immediate. There are people who come to church and just boom, they hear it, they say that's true, and they believe and their lives are changed. Uh, sometimes there is enormous emotion. Well, other times people come to faith and it feels as rational and objective. Oh, I don't know. It's taking an engineering test over here at Caltech. You know, be like that. Sometimes conversions are very public and filled with drama like Paul's was. And then other times they're just very private, very quiet. I was talking about this with Matt Barnes from our church. He's a Ph.D. student over at, uh, at Fuller. And he said, sometimes we have, he called it testimony envy. Do you know what that is? <laughs> we hear somebody else's story, it's so dramatic. We say, I want to have a testimony like that. Sometimes we feel like we've got to make something up. And I keep saying to him and to me and to all of us, no, 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 no. Each one of the stories is powerful. Each one, of, just, just rejoice in the God who is there. So each story of how we meet God, it will be different. But all of them have one element in common. People are converted when we meet and then surrender our lives to God. And I think, yeah, I added this little phrase. But I want you to know the God we meet is the God who is. Do you see that? Let me tell you why I say that. So, Paul, when he met Jesus that day, he was literally, physically knocked to the ground. Um, What knocked him down? Do you think it was the light? Light shone, down he goes. Could be, right? Maybe it was the sound. Saul. It seems to happen just afterwards. You know what I think it is? I'm not sure it's what physically knocked him to the ground. But I think that what turned his life around was that he was met and arrested by the truth. Um, He had based his life on something that one day he found out wasn't wholly true. And when he saw it opened up his world. When he saw what was true. And especially about God. It opened up his whole world. That, that he saw things in a different way. Here's the way it was for him. Maybe you can think about whether you have anything in your life like this. Paul was a brilliant, well educated, conservative Jewish theologian. So there were several things about God that he thought or just not possible. Uh, God could never become human. Paul would have been convinced of that. Uh, Let me see. Number two, God could never be one and yet also somehow plural. Uh, Son of God, seen me, seen Father. Couldn't have believed that. And especially the clearest one that happened that day. God's Messiah could not have been seen hanging on a cross. Because in the Scriptures, anybody on the cross... Was cursed. So that can't happen. Now he had heard Stephen, because he was holding the coats when Stephen got killed, remember? He had heard Stephen proclaim that Jesus was the Son of God, and they had seen him hanging on the cross, and that he had defeated sin on that cross and death by a resurrection, but Paul said, That cannot be. And you see what happened on the road to Damascus? Jesus met him, and he saw it can be. <laughs> And it is that what he had believed about God was wrong. And he had to open up his whole world to seeing God as God is, not as God as he had just thought that he was. Uh, Dr. Steve Cunningham is just an active part of our church. He's sort of a scientist, 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 you know. Um, Written so many articles, I can't even understand the titles of them. Uh, Steve, with all of his years of studying science had become a convinced philosophical materialist. In other words, he did not believe that miracles happened. Until one day, God did a miracle before his eyes. He healed a blind man. Steve will tell you about it. And suddenly Steve said, Oh, God must do miracles. You can talk to him about how that's possible, that natural things work, but also miracles happen. But he'll simply say, you've got to start from the fact that God does miracles. So, listen carefully now. There are just countless things I wanted to talk to you about this morning from Acts 9. I don't have time for it all. You know that. But there's one thing I thought here in Southern California. We can't come to church and read this without thinking about this. And that is this. When I talk with people here in Southern California about whether they believe in a God most people will say, well, I'm a spiritual person. I do believe, you know, somehow that there is something more than what I see. But my God is, is a God of love. And this for sure, knowing that I'm here from Lake Avenue Church, I know this, my God isn't going to dictate morality. God is not going to tell us how we're supposed to live and make demands of us. So listen, let us learn from Paul today that many times when we say my God wouldn't do that, that my God might only be a construct of my own imagination. I've just made Him to be what I want Him to be. And I'm just going to tell you, if God is, He is as He is. And and if you try to make your own God, you know what kind of God you and I will make? We'll make a God who will never contradict us. We'll make a God who will be able to figure out a way... To get him to give us what we want and keep us going on that path, right? We would never have a God who would change us. We wouldn't make up a God like that. And that's kind of the God we find in the Bible. Uh, Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, You go to a doctor and you haven't been feeling very good. In fact, you've been feeling bad. And you go into a a certain doctor who just, you know, wants to make you feel good. And um, wants to make sure you come back and pay the doctor's bills and, and so forth. And then it just says to you, you know, I think you're good just as you are. Just keep doing all the things you've been doing. Keep eating all the sweets you want. You've been smoking 10 packs a day. Make it 20. Been using uh, marijuana. Why don't you move up? Heroin, cocaine. You'll love it. I'm just telling you, that kind of doctor is not going to help you, Right. Go to a real doctor who cares about you, wants to help you, and and, and she'll say something like this. You know, I look at you and I see in you what I think are the beginnings of heart disease maybe or or cancer, and many of the things you are doing now is is making it worse. You have to change your ways or you're going to die. I can help you, but you have to change. And see, Jesus is the great physician. He loves you with an everlasting love. He can help you, but He often asks us to do really challenging things. And I think here in Southern California, I was talking with Dr. Julie Gorman. She teaches over at Fuller from our church. She said, here we have created what she called a cozy Jesus. <laughs> we have a cozy Jesus who just wants us to be comfortable. Did you see that the Jesus... Paul met in Acts chapter 9 wasn't all that cozy. Did you notice that this resurrected powerful Jesus knocked him down and turned him around and things changed in his life. Paul surrendered to Jesus. He just said, Lord. And as he always does, Jesus asked him to do some hard things. Don't you find that's true? Things that go against where my all my will is taking me. He asked him that verse 16. When he's going to have to, Ananias is going to have to tell Paul, you have to go tell him how much he's going to have to suffer for my name. Paul didn't flinch. He'd met Jesus. He knew that Jesus was greater than anything in this world. He knew he was worthy of trust. And pretty much when we've met Jesus, we we know it. When we say, My life is yours. Um, Where do you want me to go? What things should I change? Lord, I need your help because I can't do it on my own. I am yours. I, I, have you met that kind of God? Have you met that kind of God? Because I think that often we can go to church and we're even trying to construct a God after our own imaginations. I, how many times I've heard, "Well, I've shown up at your church, preacher, but not working for me because I, he didn't give me what I wanted." Uh, one of the best known stories of conversion of the last century was C.S. Lewis you know a story? He was a committed, outspoken atheist while he taught at Oxford. That was before he went to Cambridge. And while he was trying to convince everybody else to be an atheist, uh, God kept surrounding him with Christians uh, like Tolkien and like G.K. Chesterton. And eventually um, he came through the door. I think John's testimony was a a lot like that. Just on a Tuesday or Wednesday, John said he he just knew he had had to believe. So uh, Lewis had to start rethinking everything that he had once thought about God. And in one of his books, and I'll recommend to you to to be read, it's a spiritual autobiography. uh, It's entitled Surprised by Joy. He he writes about it. So here, I I know a lot of you aren't going to read it, so I'll make you read some of it here. So here's what Lewis wrote. The odd thing was that before God closed in on me, don't you love that, I was in fact offered what now appears a moment of holy free choice. I could open the door or I could keep it shut. I chose to open it. Now I say I chose, yet it did not really seem possible to do the opposite. So When he met God. For the first time, I examined myself with a seriously practical purpose. And there within me, I found what appalled me. A zoo of lust, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. Don't you wish you could write like that? But that's how that's inside of us, right? Uh, Lewis began to realize that God is, and that God is a God who knew him, that came after him, and was going to change him. All of his adversaries in the university would say, well, God can't be like that. God can't be that way. He doesn't know that each one. But Lewis learned that this is exactly what God is like. So he wrote about that too. Here he goes. My adversary waved this point before me that God couldn't be like that. But it sank into utter unimportance. God wouldn't argue about it, who he was. He only said, I am the Lord. I am that I am. I am. Uh, People who are naturally religious find difficulty in understanding the horror of such a revelation. Amiable agnostics will talk cheerfully about man's search for God. To me, as I was then, they might as well have talked about the mouse's search for the cat. <laughs> Pretty much, I'm sure of this. When I talk with somebody who says, you know, I've been reading such and such, and I kind of like the way he writes about God. I know they haven't met God. They haven't really met God. But here's the beautiful part. Here's the beautiful part. You're with me, right? Beautiful part. The fact that God wanted to invite into his family and wanted to rescue a passionate atheist like Lewis or a hate-filled anti-Christian like the Apostle Paul. Doesn't that tell you a lot about God? I mean, it's the fact that, that God took the initiative to bring the least likely of people, and to me that shouts out to me that we cannot pronounce anybody hopeless as far as conversion is concerned. So maybe you've come today and and you think there are things about yourself that can't change. They can. Maybe you've come and you think you have a parent or or one of your children or a friend. There's no no hope for that. There's hope. Amen. What what I want us to do is to become people who, instead of giving up hope, want to become witnesses to the love of God and pray that those we might have given up hope on, but that God never has might actually meet God and find life in Him. He is the one who is the converter. God is, and He is who He is, and that's why we have hope. He is able to save you. He wants to save you. He is able to remake you. And because of that, we say hallelujah. Uh, Last point, last point. Oh, but it's a good point, so it's worth hearing it. Uh, the community that he was brought into, a community of converted people, all, all people who had to be turned around. And what Paul found was he, he was a person who found a place uh, to belong and where he could grow and where he could serve. Because we were never meant to do this alone. To try to go it alone is like ripping a, a plant out and trying to make it survive with its roots not being in soil. We, we need a place to belong. Uh, you've got to think about Paul. Um, when he believed on Jesus, his family, many of them may have disowned him. Almost certainly did, right? And I'm sure many of the community would have disowned him. Uh, verse 23 and 29, he, already people started trying to kill him. So where was he, he? Was he going to do this? Just Jesus and him along life's pathway? We're not made, he needed a new community. And that's what he found in God. So that when we read the rest of his story... What I see is even though his turnaround happened on that road to Damascus, his, his conversion wasn't completed in a day. So as I read it, biblical conversion starts us on a journey that lasts our whole lives. And near the end of his life in Philippians chapter three, we have some of our interns sit over here, a verse that I often share with people who have leadership gifts, is near the end of his life, the Apostle Paul would say, no, I'm not saying that I've attained it all yet. I'm not trying to pretend to you that I'm everything God would have me to be yet. But I'm telling you this, I press on toward that high calling. Now, I'll just tell you how I experience this thing. Not everybody agrees with me here, but so listen, is that when... when you first meet God, you have that big whole life conversion where you say, ah, here's my life. I give my will. I give my life to you. I'll I'll follow you. But there's still all of this junk in our lives that at least the way it feels to me is that those parts have to be converted. Almost sometimes it feels like one at a time. Do you have that happen? Do you ever show up even here at church where God makes something... You so aware of something, do you know, that isn't the way I made you to be. And we've got to turn that over to him too, turn away from that. You see what I mean? So it seems like there's smaller daily conversions, times of, of renewed faith in the midst of the bigger one on this journey. But each time it, it, it's sort of the same way you go about it. You meet God, you see him as he is, and, and you say, You're God. You love me in spite of that? Here again I come to church with the same old thing? And you'll forgive that? Here's my life. See, it just seems to me. that, and, and the place where this happens is as we do life with one another. A, a church has to be a place where we don't pretend we're perfect. Self-righteousness, we've got to get rid of that. That's what we're not. What we are is people who need His righteousness. And He gives us to one another. So when we're converted, we're converted to Jesus, but we're converted to walk with Jesus as a part of a converted family. And that meant, number one, that Paul had to make a commitment to join the family. And he did. Nobody had hated the church more than Paul in, in Acts 9, 1 to 3. No one loved the church more than Paul after that. He started churches everywhere he went. When he wasn't starting a church, he got into one. And, and, and they grew together. And so he had to become a part of it. He needed that new community. He wasn't meant to do it alone, and he found it. It's, it's absolutely essential if you want your conversion to become complete. God is wanting to make something beautiful out of your life but it just starts when you begin to walk with him and it has to continue until his work is done. So first of all, you've got to want to join a family and Linda, as you talked about that, I hope many will just say, well, there are a lot of imperfect people here. Well, I'll just tell you, if you go out and try to find the perfect church, the moment you join them, it's not going to be perfect anymore. <laughs> just mark it down, right? So go, join with us. Sometimes we've got to hold one another accountable at times. So many times we've got to teach one another. So many times we've got to say, I'm praying for you encourage one another. Which brings the second part. It wasn't just that he had to want to commit himself to it. The community had to be willing to welcome him. And that wasn't easy either. Uh, One of my favorite parts of Acts chapter 9 is when God comes to Ananias after Paul was blind And he said, Ananias, I want you to go. And there's this man from Tarsus. His name is uh, Paul. You've got to go and lay hands on him. But he had a dream that a man named Ananias. (laughs) My name is Ananias. heard, A man named Ananias is going to come uh, to pray for you. And then Ananias really really says to God, God, um, I think there's something about that man you don't know. (laughs) I need you to I need to fill you in. This man, he wants to kill us and he has authority to be able to come and seize us to take us back so that we can be killed. But God pretty much said to Ananias, what I have heard so often, it's my work, you go. And he went. And one of those such beautiful things is I think the first words that Paul heard from another Christian after Paul had become a Christian was Ananias coming and saying, laying his hands and saying, Brother Saul. Brother. This man who'd been trying to kill him. Uh, John Stott, a good friend of mine before he passed away, wrote about it. That must have been music to his ears. What do you think? The arch enemy of the church, welcomed as a brother. The dreaded fanatic, received as a member of the family. But, But you see, it had to be more than Ananias. It couldn't just be the preacher or somebody... It had to be the whole family. And that was hard for them too. Look at verse 26. They were scared of this guy. They thought that he, he, when he went on back to Jerusalem, which was probably a lot later, they were still afraid of this, this man who breathed murderous threats against them. But great is this, that a man named Barnabas, the most respected man in the church, personally took Paul in and said he is a brother. I just want you to know that, brothers and sisters, that's the way we have to become here at Lake Avenue Church. You and will you make a commitment to being an Ananias and a Barnabas? There are going to be people in our community that just say, "Well, they'll never want me in that church." And you and I have to truly believe. Listen, if God was willing to to welcome Pastor Greg into the church, there's hope for anybody. Put your own name in there. I just put, my, put mine in. We, we, where we do that and then to say, well, if you don't believe me, I'll go with you. We need to even look around the church where there may be people who just say, I wonder if I can fit with this group. I, uh, if there's hope for us, there's hope for anyone. And there is hope for anyone. And there's hope for you too. Um, Paul Momo Casal wrote about this. Applied it to Africa in the Africa Bible Commentary. I'll put it here. Look at it. Ananias and Barnabas show us what a community is like in which past enemies are able to become friends and call each other brother. They are examples to those who find it hard to invite their enemies into the Christian family. With Africa riven by wars and ethnic animosity, African Christians desperately need these examples of what God expects of us. How else will believers in countries like Rwanda call each other brother after experiencing genocide? Such a change is possible only through the power of the risen Savior who has broken down the walls of enmity. Oh, only Africa needs that kind of community, right? (laughs) Ah, we need it here. Are, Are you ready to welcome anybody who is in Christ into our family? God welcomes them. God welcomes you and me. And together we can become beautiful, beautiful people through the power of God at work. Well, there's my message. Um... I have to end this chapter with this question to you. Have you been converted? Have you met this God? And said, Lord, here are my sins. You want them? And he says, I'll cast them as far as east is from the west. I'll wash you clean. You say, you will. Here's my life. You can meet God. In fact, according to Jesus' own words, you must be converted. Have you ever seen what Jesus said in Matthew eighteen three. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, unless you are converted, and that really means like becoming a little child, starting this journey all over again. Unless you are converted, you will never even enter the kingdom of God. So turn around today. Find whatever language you can. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I'm going to follow you. And then join us in this community of the converted. And let us grow together. together, Become what Jesus made us to be in the first place. And then died on the cross. So that that remaking could actually happen. And we will bring glory to his name. Amen. May it be so. Amen. Let's bow for prayer for just a moment. And as we do, would would you take out, if you can, on the front rows, we can't do it in the balcony, you can't, but take out the uh, kneelers there and kneel for just a moment. Wherever you are, let's just have a moment of prayer. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Ask our musicians to come. Again, my question to you, have you met God and said to him, Lord, have you said, I will follow you, Jesus, whatever you ask me to do, wherever you ask me to go? I am yours. I will follow. In our video, John said he found that so hard to say. Find your own words. Give your life to Him. Or perhaps you are a converted person. You're walking down that path, and yet you see, today again, maybe you see areas of your life that you have taken over. And you must turn around and give that back to God. Look Him in the face, your holy, powerful God. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Here it is. Take me. Or maybe there is somebody you love that you had almost given up hope that things could be different. Even there, tell God you believe in Him. Ask Him if you have to be the witness to that one you love. Begin praying that that person you love might meet God and find a new life. Father, for all of this we pray. We gather here in Your presence sometimes so comfortably. But Father, we know Every time we gather here, we need to meet you. And in that, even though sometimes you ask us to do challenging things, that your ways are always better than ours. And in you there is hope. Do your work in our lives. Make something beautiful out of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.